We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Thanks, Ben. Morning, everyone. Uh, Ben's already told everyone about the, uh, our second bookmark. So we're, I reckon if you did your reading this week, we're, we're past two-thirds of the way through. We're getting, getting there. We've been um, pushing on, reading through Psalms for a fair while now. Um, and I don't know if it's just me. Maybe the sense that I'm sensing is coming from me. But a bit of weariness. Oh, we're still in Psalms. <laughs> we're still reading through Psalms. I know that. I've felt that a couple of times. So I hope today that I'll be able to give you a bit of a, uh, maybe a new perspective or maybe one that you've had before but have forgotten about and a bit of encouragement to keep, keep pushing through and reading the Psalms um, because it'll be really, it, and they are so, so great to read. Because I've often not enjoyed reading the Psalms. I always thought they're so repetitive. I mean, the other week we read as a church of Psalm 136, his steadfast love endures forever, every second line. Now, when I want to read something for information, and I know pretty, pretty soon how that's going to go, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to read every second line and I'll just get this done. <laughs> but there's a reason why it's there. And I think that the other week when we, when we said that psalm as a church, it was really proven to us that it's, the psalms are something that need to be done. They're not something that we sit and gather information from. Uh, the psalms are songs and prayers that need to be performed. They need to be enacted. And, um, and if we, we're not doing them, they will be dry and boring uh, because there is a lot of repetitive information in there. But if we're actually experiencing them, I, I hope that we'll find them really valuable. So um, today I hope that I'll be able to just give you some, a, a few different kind of lenses to look at the Psalms through so that when we um, read them, we can read them as, as prayers. There's a long history of the church praying the Psalms. I remember reading once about Martin Luther that, you know, while he was in you know, medieval Germany, freezing cold castles, that he would get up in the morning and pray for two hours, two hours every morning. And I thought, man, 10 minutes is hard enough by the heater. Imagine sitting in a dark, dank castle, getting up two hours before everyone else and, and praying for two hours when 10 minutes is so hard. Half an hour, I can almost not even think about that. But then I found out that, you know, Martin Luther, he started off as a monk. And, um, and lots, of, lots of monks, they have a routine of praying through all 150 psalms every day <laughs> throughout the seven prayers that they have. Um, so Martin Luther would have been praying, yes, praying out of his heart and his spirit, but he also would have been praying the psalms. And it gave me a bit of encouragement that if I were to do that, I'm not sure I would, but it's a bit easier to fill up two hours if you're praying the Psalms as well, as well as just coming up with it. And I'm, I'm not that great at, at praying. I mean, sometimes when you, when you come before the creator of all things who 
holds everything together, you kind of stuck for words. Um, and I know that I often find myself, you know, I can do the listening part, but what, what can you say to God who knows everything, who, who's done everything, um, who is all goodness? When it's our turn, what, what can you say? So um, I hope today to be able to show you how the Psalms can be, can be like a frame for our praying. Um, a, a guide or a jumping off point. I like to think it about it um, like imp- improvisation in music. So if you, you've heard a band play, they might be playing the song, the singers are singing, and then the singers will stop and then the, the electric guitarist will play a screaming solo over the top. The rest of the band are still playing what they were playing before. They're playing what's been throughout the song. And that, that framework, that chord progression, provides a foundation for that um, electric guitarist to release their creativity and, and scream over the top of everyone else. But they're, they're using the chords that were played beforehand as a background. And I think the Psalms can be like that for us. They can be our, our foundation, and then we can jump off from there um, the leading that the Psalms take us in, the, in those directions. And they're... The great thing about it, about having something like the Psalms to help us, is that they'll take us in directions that we wouldn't have gone before. Um, And that's what reading the Scriptures is all about, about being transformed in our minds and and in our hearts. So we're going to dig into the Psalms a bit today. If you do have a paper Bible, grab it out, or if you've got one on your phone, um, and pull, pull it up. Um, so I want to talk about three, three main ideas and three of these lenses that we can look through the Psalms with. The first one is to dwell on the images. The second one is to pray through the frame of Jesus. And the third one is to remember that the Psalms are not just for us as individuals. So we're going to go into those three things. That's, that's a good preaching number, isn't it? Three things. So to dwell on the images, the Psalms are poetry, and they're poetry for a reason. That's so that when we engage with God, when we're praying, we're not just using our kind of intellectual part of our mind, but we can, um, we can also use our imaginations. The Psalms are poetry. They're supposed, to be, they're supposed to bring up feelings and emotions, and then we can, we can sit with them. And, um, and have them impact us. Psalm 23 is a great example of this. So it begins with, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So if we're praying Psalm 23, we can just rest in that image. And I think that's a pretty familiar one. We're used to doing it with Psalm 23 because we hear it so often. Right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What's that feel like? Feels pretty good. And so if we just take that time to stop and just rest in the image that's created, that will um, lead our prayer in different directions. Now, not all the images that the Psalms have are so, so comforting, and it might not be as comfortable, but, um, but yeah, so the first thing is to dwell on those images. 
We're given poetry for a reason, and don't be afraid to use your imagination. Secondly, we need to pray through the finished work of Jesus. There's a lot of um, psalms that are about priests and temples and about kings as well. Um, and we're used to the ones that are kind of looking to the Messiah. We're used to reading them through the lens of Jesus, but not necessarily all the, all the temple worship kind of ones. But knowing that Jesus is our priest, we've become uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that we don't need that special place, but a lot of the Psalms talk about that special place, but we can be part of that because it's, it's already here, it's already it's already um, part of that. So Psalm 110 is, is definitely one that they often talk about. That the Lord is at your right hand. He'll shatter the kings on the day of his, his wrath. So if we've read Psalm 110, we know that. We think, oh, this is talking about Jesus. But then the other way we, <coughs> we need to reframe our reading of the Psalms through Jesus is... Um, all the talk of enemies. So this is from a king's perspective. He'll shatter the hand of our earthly enemies. But we know that uh, Jesus has defeated sin and death and they're the ultimate enemies of humanity. Jesus has defeated sin, death and the devil and um, the powers and principalities of this world are being transformed. So when we read in the Psalms some pretty uncomfortable stuff about enemies we can remember that those are the enemies that um that the scriptures are talking about because jesus has told us to be um not even just peacekeepers but peacemakers that blessed are the peacemakers to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you so we can know for sure that they're not talking about our earthly enemies um that when we read the psalms and it's talking about enemies it's about those Enemies that Jesus has already defeated, uh, but can still have power in our lives. And um, thirdly, the Psalms are not just for us. A really good example of this is Psalm 137. So it begins, it's pretty familiar at the start. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willow, there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And so we've got um, the people in exile. And that's pretty hard for us to, to sort of imagine what that would be like to be taken away um, from your place, from the place where God is supposed to dwell, and to not be able to see any future or, or how that might come to pass. And when we read a psalm like this, and if we're praying this psalm, I think we can be reminded that you know, these, these psalms are not just written for us as individuals now, but can we think about, are there people who follow the way of Jesus in the world now who are exiled from their homelands? Are there Christians who are living as refugees? For sure. Are there Christians who are um, being persecuted? It's the way of um, Jesus trying to be suppressed in other places. Yeah. And so we can identify not just with our own situation, but through praying the Psalms, we can be brought into um, the greater 
communion of the saints, that great cloud of witnesses that's gone before us and, and is still with us in the world. And if we, um, yeah, because if, if you keep going with Psalm 37, now I don't remember this part from the Boney M song. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Now, that is not a comfortable thing to pray. But if you are remembering those kinds of difficulties that people are going through, that sometimes to trust God with that and not do it yourself, but sometimes you just need to express that hurt and pain and anguish. And it's probably especially confronting to us because we live such comfortable lives that it's really hard for us to identify that, that much hurt, that much pain. But it's right there in the Psalms. And the encouraging thing is that it's handed over, handed over to God. So if we're reading the Psalms and there is, there is stuff like that that's pretty hard to uh, um, identify with, then maybe we can take that opportunity to, uh, to ask God to show us where, where are those blind spots that we, that we have because of our limited experience. You know, there, there are lots of things that the church is going through, that the people of God are going through and have gone through throughout the world that we don't have anything, we don't know anything about. So we can um, make that part of our prayer. God, change us. Help us to see uh, with new eyes what this world is like. So now we're going to put some of these things in practice. So dwelling on the images and looking uh, and praying the Psalms through the, through the lens of Jesus and then remembering that the Psalms are not just for us and changing that kind of individualistic perspective. So um, we'll, we'll do those things with Psalm 118. So we'll spend a bit of time there. Psalm 118 is one of those Psalms that is um, really about the temple. It's about a king and what they, um, what they think it might have been originally is like a song that all of Israel sung when the king returned victorious from a, from a battle and went to the temple to sacrifice, to give a thanksgiving offering to God. So we've got the, um, the king marching in to the temple and then being welcomed in the temple and to the holy place. So even that as a frame for our reading. So Jesus is our victorious king. He's our, our resurrected Messiah. And maybe we can imagine as we pray this, him guiding the procession of humanity on along with him. Um, this psalm was also used when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey. So we're kind of joining in with that, um, but we know that Jesus is victorious. And that procession, it brings us to the holy place in the temple. So... This is also a good example of how the Psalms can lead us to that holy place of prayer. So we go through um, certain stages of thanksgiving and remembering so that when we're ready to 
pray from the heart. We've been, our mind is set kind of in the right, in the right space to, uh, to express what we need to express and also then to listen to what God has to say. So this psalm begins, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Seems like we might need a bit of reminding that God is faithful to his promises, faithful to his, and, and loving in the way that he is faithful to his promises. That's what um, that word means his steadfast love it means that he keeps his promises and he's full of love both of those things together so it's repeated because we need reminding but this also reminds us that the psalms aren't just for us it's calling israel the house of aaron those who fear the lord it's calling everyone together to pray and praise so as as we pray this we can be thinking beyond ourselves. That we're joining in the praise that's already happening across time and space, praising the Lord. That, um, you know, it's th that great cloud of witnesses that's mentioned in Hebrews. It's the, the great multitude in Revelation that are just praising God. When we come to prayer, we're joining in what's already going on. And that's... Um, a great thing to remember and that we're reminded if we spend a bit of time with the start of this psalm. Then the psalmist recounts things that aren't so good. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Now, this translation says set me free, but a whole lot of others use the, what it literally says, which is set me in a broad place. And that's one of those images that we can reflect on again. Especially if, as some people think, this, you know, a lot of the Psalms came out of exile. So here are people away, but they're saying, God has set me free because God has set the people of Israel free from Egypt. This is what God does. So even if I'm in exile, I can say, God has done this and set me in a broad place. And we can rest in that image in a broad place. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. So once again, you know, that's talking about your enemies. And, um, and I think that, yes, we're called to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And maybe this is praying about it. And sometimes it's good to, to get those things off our, off our chest. If we can't say it to God, well, who can we express it to? And it's a really, really good way of, you know, there are some psalms in here that are just venting, just venting, furious at God, furious at the world. Just get it done with, deal with it, instead of just pushing it down. And it's a healthy way to be. Now verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. 
if I'm praying these verses, I think that maybe it turns me to think, God, show me. Show me. Am I trusting in things that are other than you, the generous provider and creator of everything? Our world likes to tell us that there's not enough, that we need to grasp and, and be first and beat everyone to it because there's not enough to go around. But when we read the scriptures, God is generous. God creates enough for all if everyone lives justly. And that can be a place of peace. And that's, that's how we have faith in God, is that we know um, who God is and what God's character is like. So it makes me think, God, show me. Show me where I'm trusting in someone else or something else to give me my security, my safety, my identity. Am I trusting in princes? Am I trusting in our political leaders to keep me safe or our military to keep me safe? Is that really what keeps me safe? Is it my job, my status, my health, my bank account that gives me my sense of security and identity because it needs to be it needs to be in you god and we continue and this one i sat for a while wondering how can i how can i pray this all nations surround me in the name of the lord i cut them off they surrounded me surrounded me on every side in the name of the lord i cut them off they surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. So I might be very well praying this if you're the commander of an army and uh, you know what this is like, but I certainly don't. I don't know what it's like to, uh, <laughs> to win a battle. But maybe this is one of those places in the Psalms where we can pray through the lens of Jesus. That, that he is the conqueror. That it, yes, it says all nations surround me and I cut them off, but if we're thinking about those powers and principalities that Jesus has conquered, and we're kind of joining in this prayer with Jesus then, you know, we're not praying this prayer by ourselves, but this is Jesus' prayer and, uh, and, and a prayer of praise. They surrounded me and I cut them off. There are also a couple of images there that we can dwell on as well and, and use um, these images to reflect. And like I said, this, these aren't as comfortable as Psalm 23. They surrounded me like bees. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, been near a hive that suddenly got cranky and this roar comes from inside the hive. And I think that most people, especially if you weren't wearing a suit, might get a bit of a sick feeling in the pit of their stomach when they hear that roar of the bees surrounding them. So we can dwell on that image and think, when have I felt that way? When have I felt like I was going to be lost? And a fire among thorns. I was reading this and thinking about when I lived in Arnhem Land, I, we used to burn all our cardboard rubbish because there, wa there wasn't anywhere to, to deal with that otherwise. And it was the end of the dry season. I had some rubbish in a 44-gallon drum. I started to burn it, that started to burn the cardboard. And, uh, and then this massive gust of wind just came. And the drum had corroded a little bit. And so some embers slipped out from under there and out the top. 
into the two meter high spear grass and suddenly <laughs> it just whoosh just took off and i tell you what that sick feeling in your stomach <laughs> what is going to go on now um so when we read those psalms and dwell on those images they can take us to places and feelings and think when did i last feel that did i experience jesus as my conqueror that that he's been victorious when I made that mistake and had a sick feeling in my stomach and, and thought, you know, that I would have to, yeah, wondered what I'd done. And then the praise continues. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. So he is exalted, even though we had that sick feeling and we thought we were lost. And indeed, in 17 and 18, it says, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but has not given me over to death. Just like I was saying, that sick feeling in our stomach when we make a mistake. Sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of the mistakes that we made. And one of the things that the Psalms do is they can help us to focus on things that we'd prefer to brush over. We have a culture of denial where we don't want to sit with the consequences of our actions, where we want to just keep moving past. But in, the psalm, in this psalm, the psalmist reflects and thinks, the Lord has disciplined me severely. I've dealt with those consequences. But, has not given me over to death. I'm still alive. I'm alive so I can, you know, it says, recount the deeds of the Lord. Talk about all those good things that he has done. All those good things that God has done. Then this next part of the psalm is, um, is where they think the, the king was approaching the temple. He said, open to me the gates of righteousness that I might enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. And then they thought that the priest called out from the other side, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. And then the king replies again, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. So as we pray this psalm, we come to the holy place, which is not, we know now, it's not some separate part. But as we've come through the prayer, we've recognised that, we're not alone, that we're joining in the prayers that have been going on before. We recount the, the acts of God in the past. We know how God works. We know that God is faithful. And we don't deny that we're living with the consequences of our actions as well. Now we've moved to the place, the gates of righteousness, this holy place where um, we're beginning to maybe pour out some of our own prayers that are coming. Um, and this is how this, this psalm works, that we're moving into the holy place where we are um, beginning to pray our own prayers. The next verses are, are pretty familiar. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvellous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This um, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now we know, uh, because of how the New Testament writers use it, that that's talking about Jesus. But this was meaningful for people before Jesus, and it was meaningful for Jesus when he was praying this psalm. And it continues to be meaningful because this is actually the way God works. The people of Israel, who were supposed to be God's light to the world, they weren't a big, huge, powerful nation. That's tiny. And all the powers, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, they were taking, taking them over, sending them into exile, and yet they were God's light. And then Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, like a weed growing up in the cracks. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's the stone that's been discarded. And God continues to work this way. And although that Jesus, yes, Jesus is this cornerstone, but I think we can also see how God continues to work, continues to use those stones and pebbles that people discard as the things that he builds He builds. Um, his kingdom on and it's marvelous in our eyes and we praise and then verse 25 save us we pray O lord lord we pray give us success this is what the crowds were were shouting as jesus entered jerusalem on a donkey this is hosanna and um and so we when we pray this we are praying save us Continue this work that we've been talking about. We've, talking, we've been talking about how you set us free, about you, how you've delivered us and how you deliver your people. Keep doing this saving work. You have saved us eternally, but you also work in our world and you continue to save. So uh, we're, we're asking God, continue, continue that work. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of God. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the halter. Who knew when we started praying that we'd start about praying about animals being tied up? If I start, told you at the beginning that uh, today we're going to pray about animals being tied up, might have been a bit of a surprise. But I think this is really interesting. And it took me a while to, to get here as well. That I was thinking, oh, this is just weird. So we're at this moment of celebration entering the temple. It's pretty hard for me to get excited about slaughtering an animal in public. <laughs> really? We, we aren't so excited about this these days. But then I thought about it. Hang on. Jesus is the one who's our sacrifice. And if we feel uncomfortable about that bloodshed, maybe that is a good way to be, to be feeling uncomfortable about that when we know that it's Jesus is the sacrifice there. So here the psalmist is celebrating, yes, come on, tie it up. But maybe it's actually good to kind of go, whoa, that's uncomfortable. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure if I should be excited about that. And it's really interesting that we've come to the, 
to the holy place. We've come to the temple and we're, we've, this psalm has been like a big procession and celebration. And then we thought we'd come to a big shiny temple, but we end up at the foot of the cross. But that's how God works. And it gives us a bit of pause, doesn't it? That we often expect the big fancy um, showy excitement about when we are following the way of Jesus it takes us to the foot of the cross and so although we might read this in a pretty different way to, to the way it was originally written um, I think it's the right place to end our prayer isn't it that we've um, We've been brought in, we've thought about the acts of God in the past and, uh, and we've remembered uh, our own sins. We've praised God that we're entering this holy place and then we come to the foot of the cross and that's where our own prayers can start pouring out. Now that we've been kind of aligned and adjusted, set on the right path, now we're in the right pra- place to pray our own, our own prayers. And then maybe after we've prayed our own prayers, we can come back to this psalm. You are my God. I'll give thanks to you. You are my God. I'll extol you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And as we leave that place of prayer, that's what we're going with. So as we finish, um, we'll just quickly pray. And I'm going to kind of use this psalm as a as a jumping-off point, and uh, yeah, and let's join me with it. God, we thank you that you that your love is faithful, that you have acted in the past, and that you continue to act. Thank you that you have always been our helper. God, show us where we are trusting in our own things. Show us when we're trusting in other people, in other structures, and not in you. Because you've worked before and you continue to work. You are a saving God who is faithful. Lord, we know that you have had victory. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that that you have defeated sin and death. That although our guts might churn um, with the mistakes that we make, we thank you, Lord, that you are victorious. And we know that we are, not, we are not innocent, but we praise you that we can come to the holy place. We praise you, Lord, that you have become our salvation. Lord, help us to see the seeds of your kingdom, those rejected stones. Help us to see where they are in our world and help us to join in your kingdom work as those as those mustard seeds are growing up through the cracks help us to join in your work lord save us we pray oh lord we're not out of it yet you're still performing your good works god lord we know that you're faithful stick with us and help us to follow in your ways lord jesus We know what love looks like and love looks like you giving yourself up on the cross. 
we know that's how you work, God. We pray that as we uh, follow in the way, in the way of Jesus, that we won't be uh, distracted by shiny things, but we'll be following the way of the cross. We praise you, Lord, because you are faithful. Your faithful love, it lasts forever. God, we go with that. Your faithful love endures forever. Help us to trust and to know it deeply. Amen.